Good evening and good afternoon and whatever time you're watching this, hello from Bill Allen in downtown Tyler, Texas. It's a Thursday afternoon and I appreciate you joining in on our Bible study. We are studying through the Daily Bible in chronological order, uh, edited by F. Lagarde Smith. We are in the middle of the Psalms, and we have begun a study through the Psalms as our daily Bible reading has us there. Over these next, uh, over these few weeks, we have another uh, maybe a week or two left. I think it finishes on May the 11th. So, uh, love to read through the Psalms, love to pray the Psalms, love to sing the Psalms, and we've seen several of those songs and prayers that are so so important and so relevant for us today and we see that again in this study that we're carrying on through the study of the book of psalms today today we uh, look at psalms of righteousness and wickedness these are psalms that sound a lot like the wisdom literature of proverbs and ecclesiastes because psalms is a part of the wisdom literature it's a devotional book we have Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, uh, Ecclesiastes and Job that are traditionally understood to be wisdom or devotional literature. So it's a, a, a wonderful blessing to be able to read through these with you, especially these today, uh, because we read about what it means to trust and obey, as the old hymn says, these Psalms call us to do exactly that. And they remind us that God can be trusted and that his word is worthy of our obedience. So we start with the start of the book of Psalms today, and it's in Psalm chapter 1. This is the first of the Psalms, and it's the first one that we'll read through um, today. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. A word about wisdom literature, about proverbial statements, uh, such as we're seeing today and we're seeing throughout the Psalms, there's a lot about the righteous prospering and the wicked suffering. And we know that um, that is ultimately true. But we also know that when we look around, sometimes it doesn't seem that way. And it's interesting that in the Psalms that we read today, that affirmation is not denied at all. It is acknowledged that sometimes the wicked are the ones who prosper and the righteous are the ones who are suffering. In fact, the Psalms of the troubled soul that we read through the last couple of lessons are exactly that. They're calling on God to vindicate them and to bring about deliverance for the righteous and punishment on the wicked because they're looking around and they're just not seeing it right now. And we experience that sometimes too. But what the psalmists affirm as well is that ultimately God will make things right and that God is still a God who can be trusted and again who is worthy of our obedience. Our delight, as the psalmist says in Psalm 1, should be in the law of the Lord and seeking to please him and be obedient 
to him. Well, we're going to keep going because we have several psalms to go through today and they're wonderfully written and very, very applicable to our lives today, including this one, Psalm 14. And you probably have heard this statement that this psalm begins with, and perhaps you may not uh, remember exactly where it's found, but it is found in the Bible, and it is Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. We've heard that before. I know you have as well. And uh, we realize that that is the scripture, that is the truth, and uh, how foolish it is to say that there is no God. We realize that people struggle with their faith, and we certainly want to help them in that struggle and not turn away from them. But at the same time, the psalmist is true. The fool says in his heart, Psalm 14, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Will evildoers never learn? Verse 4 asks, Those who devour my people as men eat bread and who do not call on the Lord. There they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. The first half of this psalm sounds much like Romans chapters 1 through 3 that announced the sin of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the sin of the Jews who had the law but did not obey it. And then it quotes much from the Old Testament in chapter 3 of the book of Romans and ultimately comes to this same conclusion. There is none who is righteous. No, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Romans chapter 3 says, but the other side of that is, all therefore are eligible to believe in God and receive the salvation and forgiveness that comes through faith. That's the great message of the first several chapters of the book of Romans. That's the great message of Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, but the Lord uh, delivers those who have trusted in him. Well, let's continue on and turn forward to Psalm 40. Psalm 40, the 40th Psalm. And again, you'll recognize uh, some statements from this Psalm uh, as well, including some statements that can be found in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 10 that quotes the Septuagint translation of this Psalm. The Septuagint is uh, identified by the marker LXX, the Roman numerals for 70. And it's called the Septuagint because 70 or so more perhaps scholars uh, translated the Old Testament Masoretic text, the Hebrew text, uh, from Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek uh, sometime around 100 B.C. or so. And so this was a Bible that was available to those who lived in New Testament times. And even uh, sometimes, as I said, Scripture in the New Testament quotes the Septuagint version, the Greek version. And, um, and this is one of those examples. So we'll read Psalm 40, 4-0. I waited patiently for the Lord. 
He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. Don't you love that? A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Reminds us of the ending of the Gospel of John, when John says Jesus did many other great things. And if... Uh, you could try to write them all down, all the books and all the libraries and all the world could not contain it. Wonderful statement. This next verse is the verse that the writer of Hebrews remembers, this passage that starts in Psalm 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Um, the Septuagint translation, slightly different, a body you have prepared for me. And that's the translation uh, that the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 quotes. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will. O oh my God, your law is within my heart. The writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 uses this passage to call us to follow the example of Christ who came into this world in a fleshly body and committed to uh, obeying the will of the Father. Even so, we must as well. He gives us a little preview of what's coming up in Psalm 50, although they're not related psalms. Um, when he talks about uh, that idea that sacrifice and offering, uh, just those things are not enough. We have to have full obedience from our heart seen in our lives. And that is what this psalm uh, affirms, and that is what Psalm 50, 5, will affirm as well. Psalm 40, verse 9, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. The psalmist says, hey, I don't keep it in here. I don't keep it in here. I let it flow. I share it. In the assembly, I share it out my mouth. I let people know that this is what I believe. Um, verse 11. <clears throat> Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. What a great statement. What a great prayer. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Even though the psalmist is very much committed to following God in righteousness and obedience, he understands I fail and we understand that as well. But again, we receive the great love and truth that the psalmist speaks about. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. Verse 11 says, may your love and your truth always protect me. We pray that same prayer. Verse 13, be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. 
May those who love your salvation always say, The Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O oh my God, do not delay. Clearly the psalmist was suffering, just as Jesus suffered in his body. And the psalmist had not received that deliverance from the Lord yet, but the psalmist fully believed that that deliverance would one day come. And he affirms that throughout and uh, uh, reminds God to treat his enemies uh, the way they should be treated. Those who say, aha, aha, as if they've trapped him and there's no one to save. The psalmist knows that there is one who will save and that one is the Lord God himself. Okay, now turn to this psalm that I've been talking about, Psalm 50, 5, 0. It is one of the great passages of scripture. It is much like Isaiah 1 verses 10 through 20 and Hosea 6 and Micah 6 and Amos 4 and 5. All of those great, great chapters of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that speak about true religion, that speak about how important it is to not just do the externals, not just do the, the sacrificing and the observing of the days and all of those ceremonial kind of things, but actually to follow God from your heart and to let that obedience be seen in how you live your life. That's what is especially significant in the New Testament and as we see in the Old Testament in those great passages and others, but also in this psalm, Psalm 50. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my consecrated ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God himself is judge. It's a courtroom scene, and God is calling the heavens and the earth to come in as witnesses. And he is the great judge, and we are the defendants. He's calling on us to defend ourselves for how we have lived our lives. And at the time this psalm is written, the people were living very unfaithfully. Even though they had the law, even though they were offering up the sacrifices, they weren't treating each other right. In the words of Jesus, the great commandment to love the Lord their God Maybe they were doing some of that, but to love their neighbor as themselves, which again is taken from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, verse 18, right in the heart of the law. They were disobeying that call to love neighbor as self. And so God brings the case against them. Psalm 50, verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Do not, I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. It's kind of like God telling us, you're always going to church, and that's it. Verse 9, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. You've heard that statement, haven't you? Right here in Psalm 50. We continue on, verse 11. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? That's what they were offering up in sacrifice, along with other animals. And God says, it's not like I need those to survive. 
Um, and yet that's how they must have felt, that God needed their external worship to survive and that that was all they needed to do. And God condemns them for that. He condemns us for that as well. Verse 14, this is what God wants. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. He doesn't just want our public worship. He doesn't just want us to go through the motions to have that external worship, which is commanded, certainly so, but is not something that can take the place of true worship from the heart and an obedient life. What does God say? Sacrifice thank offerings to me. Be grateful. It starts with gratitude. Uh, fulfill your vows. Fulfill your commitment to live faithful life before the Lord. Call upon me in the day of trouble. That great verse, Psalm 50, verse 50, uh, verse 15. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. You may say, but Bill, look, I'm listening to this, but you know, I haven't called upon God. I haven't gone to church. I haven't read the Bible. I haven't worshipped Him. I haven't prayed. And now I find myself in a, in a really bad place. And uh, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble. And I feel, I feel guilty calling upon God now. Don't feel guilty. He wants us to be obedient all the times in the good times and the bad to seek Him and to pray to Him and to be grateful to Him and to worship Him. But if we haven't done that and we find ourselves in the day of trouble, He still wants us to call on Him. Call on me, God says, in the day of trouble and I will answer you. Whatever else is true, whatever else is going on in your life, if you're in trouble today, call on it. That's what the psalmist says for us to do. And he will hear and he will answer. But, verse 16, to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? That is a scary, scary statement. You hate my instruction and cast my words before you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue. To deceit. Horrible statements. You speak continually against your brother and slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and accuse you to your face. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with none to rescue. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and the one prayer, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. God says, look, you did these things and I kept silent, and you thought I was just like you. You thought nothing was going to happen. You thought there was going to be no consequences paid, and, and sometimes we wonder why God is waiting so long to punish the wicked. Second Peter 3 tells us that every day he does not send his son is a day uh, that is an opportunity for more to change their lives, to turn from their disobedience and to repent. God is not willing that any should perish or die. Second Peter 3 verse 9 says, but that all should come to repentance. That's why Jesus hasn't returned because these words that the psalmist just said are true. If you don't repent, God says, I will tear you to pieces. It will not be pretty. It will be horrible. And he says, but it will be the just and righteous actions of a just and righteous God. The one who sacrifices thank offerings, who gratefully, uh, out of their own volition, 
offers up their worship to God, those are the ones God says that are blessed. Psalm 50 is just a great and powerful statement of God's true religion that he calls on us to have before him. This holy and righteous God calls on us to trust and obey, not just at church, but 24-7 every day of our lives. Uh, this psalm, Psalm 50, in the great manner of Isaiah 1 and uh, Micah 6 and Hosea 6, Amos 4, all of those great, tremendous passages that call on sincere obedience to God. Mark Psalm 50. Well, another great psalm is Psalm 73, and it's got one of my favorite statements uh, in Scripture in it. I know you've heard me say that a few times, but this one really is, just like the others are. Psalm 73, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Remember, don't think that the Old Testament doesn't talk about worship from the heart. It does. It does. It does even in Deuteronomy, as we've seen already. And it certainly does here in Psalm 73, verse 1. But as for me, the psalmist says, I was not pure in heart. My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Again, sometimes we know in our minds that ultimately God will make things right, but when we look around and we see the wicked prospering, it hurts us in our hearts. And it's hard for us to maintain that faith and that purity of heart. And that's what the psalmist says. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I almost slipped. My feet almost slipped. Verse 4, he continues. They, the wicked, have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to humanity. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous heart comes iniquity or sin. The evil con conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. You've felt that way, haven't you? I know I have. You're trying, you're knocking yourself out, trying to be obedient, trying to be righteous, trying to obey God's law and God's word and God's will. And then you look around and you see people who don't care anything about that and they're just going along, as we say, fat, dumb, and happy. <laughs> they have no cares in the world, it seems. And they look around and they say, God, God doesn't see. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. He doesn't act. And we have a hard time arguing with that because, at least for the moment, it's true. And it really threatens our faith. How can the righteous suffer while the wicked continue to prosper and then become more and more arrogant all the time in their wickedness? That's where the psalmist was. But the psalm is not over yet. This is what he says in verse 13 and as he observes all of this. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God 
then I understood their final destiny. How important is it to go to church? Hebrews 10 says we are not to forsake and desert the church. We are not to give up meeting together. And he even acknowledges that some, by the time that book was written, um, during the first few decades of the church's existence, some had already done that. But the writer says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but rather encourage each other. Why? This is exactly why. Because things don't make sense until we enter the sanctuary of God. When we look around at the world around us, we say, well, I, the righteous are prospering like me. The wicked are suffering and they're becoming more and more arrogant in their wickedness and God seems to do nothing and I just don't get it. And then you go to church and then you hear those great songs of praise and you join in with them and you partake of that, that Lord's Supper that reminds you of the body and blood of Christ and of the call for us uh, to love others sacrificially just as Jesus loved us that way. You hear those prayers and you pray those prayers and you get those uh, encouraging looks and when appropriate, hugs and handshakes. And we're reminded once again that God is in control, that he will make things right. And we're right there with the psalmist in this. When I saw all of that, it just didn't make sense to me. Verse 17, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Verse 18, Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, Psalm 73 verse 28 affirms, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. What a great statement of faith. Even though the psalmist had not experienced the Lord's deliverance yet and things didn't make sense yet, that's called faith. That's called faith. He goes to church. He goes to the sanctuary. He worships with his brothers and sisters. And they call upon God and they pray to God and they remind each other of God's love and God's faithfulness. And the psalmist goes away saying, As for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Psalm 73. A great psalm indeed. Well, let's keep reading. Uh, Psalm 82. We're going to just keep on going. We've got a little bit of time left. And so we're going to keep on going in Psalm 82. God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the, quote, gods. Jesus quotes this psalm in John chapter 10. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the church of the earth are shaken. 
Verse 6, I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere men. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. When they are testing Jesus, and I mentioned that Jesus uses this passage of Scripture in John chapter 10. He says, wait a minute, doesn't your Bible say you are God's? <laughs> and he's talking about this psalm, Psalm 82. When the psalmist says, the Lord says, you are God's, you're all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere men. Jesus himself turns this psalm on those who question him and are trying to trap him. And he helps them to try to understand, tries to get them to understand that there is no God but one and that he and the Father are one. And he is able to tell them in John chapter 10 uh, that he is the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep and then takes it up again, he says in John 10. Okay, well, let's move along. Another fairly short psalm is Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Great domino hand, by the way. 84. Just thought I'd throw that in. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. What a beautiful vision. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Verse 8, Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Could be speaking about the king, or it could be a royal psalm itself. And then notice verse 10 of Psalm 84. Verse 10, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Don't you just love that statement? Don't we all feel that way? That the psalmist expresses in Psalm 84 verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I don't care what role I play or uh, where I sit or any of that. I just want to be in the presence of the Lord. That's what the psalmist says and we also agree. Well, two more fairly short psalms. One of them is the only psalm in the Bible attributed to Moses. Uh, some of the Jewish uh, traditional literature suggests that Psalm 91 is one, a psalm of Moses. But the headings in Psalms, our Psalms, uh, of Psalm 90 says, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. And again, these headings, not inspired, but probably accurate. And I think we can trust that this psalm may very well have been written by Moses, the man of God. Psalm 90, you'll recognize several things 
in the great Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And yes, you're remembering correctly. Charlton Heston as Moses in the great old Cecil B. DeMille directed version of the Ten Commandments actually quotes <clears throat> part of this psalm. Kudos to them for actually having him quote a psalm that the headings of the psalms attribute to Moses from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Psalm 90 verse 2. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 3. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your, in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. That's another one we've heard in the New Testament quotes in that passage in Second Peter 3. A thousand years are like a day, and a day are like a thousand years. Verse 5. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. Boy, if this was written by Moses, he certainly had experienced that firsthand. Verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and we fly away. We know Moses lived much longer than even a hundred years. He lived 120 years. And so some have suggested maybe this wasn't written by Moses. But I think it's a general statement that's just as true today as it was when the psalmist wrote it. Typically, um, we see those lives, the time of our lifespan here, uh, being somewhere around 70 to 80 years. And we understand that that hopefully is something that is going to continue to increase as modern uh, medicine helps us out. But again, generally speaking, probably close uh, to the average. Verse 11, who knows the power of your anger for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What a great statement. Verse 13, Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to your children, to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. If this psalm was written by Moses, the man of God, he had experienced all of those things in trying to lead God's people uh, during the last 40 years of his life. Uh, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So true. Okay, one more short psalm and then we'll be finished for today. And it's Psalm 115. Psalm 115. And it's a great statement about righteousness and wickedness and a great call and prayer for God to bless the righteous. Psalm 115, 115. Why do the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk. 
nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. It sounds a lot like what Isaiah would say, Jeremiah would say, some others perhaps, that talks about idols as being nothing more than just something that a human made. In fact, you have to nail them down so they don't topple, the prophets say. The psalmist says much the same thing here. And then the warning of verse 8, those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. I'll be sharing some sermons this summer from the Ten Commandments, including the first two, that you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any image of the one true and living God. And so if, if that is your God, then your God is, is not true and is too small. Verse 9 of Psalm 115. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, the priests, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It's just like he says in Psalm 8. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Literally, Alleluia, Yah, praise the Lord. And the psalmist at the end of this great psalm reminds us that we should praise the Lord while we're living. We should be obedient to Him while we're living. Because once we're in the grave, um, there's no more opportunity to do that in this body. And our eternal souls are set. Um, and so today, I hope you've enjoyed these readings of the righteous and wickedness, the righteousness and wickedness, and the call of the psalmist for us to live righteous lives and to trust God, uh, to vindicate the righteous and to deliver the righteous and the obedient and to punish the wicked. It's a great, great series. And I want us to end with this psalm of, with this, these two verses of blessing and prayer. Uh, that the psalmist writes in Psalm 115, verses 14 and 15. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen.